What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the DFS MVP podcast. I am your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 4for4.com with my co-host here, Matt Savoka. Welcome to the seventh season of DFS MVP. This is episode 157. If you're new to the DFS MVP, we're a strategy-based NFL DFS podcast during the season. Every week, we're giving you our favorite value plays along with a theory topic. During the preseason, things are a little bit different. We take one single theory topic and dive deep into it to get you ready for the season. Uh, if you haven't signed up yet for our DFS sub, head over to 444.com and use the promo code DFS MVP. That'll get you 10% off. Or if you haven't signed up for a prize picks account yet, head over to 444.com slash prize picks to get details on how to get a sub for just $20. That's only for new prize picks users. Be sure to check out the preseason analysis and head over to the subscriber only discord. I'm going to be doing two redraft chats in our discord next week to get you guys ready for the regular season. Uh, today's going to be a fun show. we got a special guest. We're going to be talking about tournament strategy. A couple weeks ago, Matt and I talked about our tournament game selection. Today, we're going to get really into the nuts and bolts of our tournament lineup process. Before we get into everything, if you are waiting to play regular season DFS, you should try out Best Ball Leagues on Underdog Fantasy. They've been mine and Matt's preferred platform this year. Best Ball, if you don't know, is a fantasy football draft-only league. Set it and forget it. Draft your team in a 12-team league over 18 rounds. Highest possible score in your lineup every week is optimized. No trades, no waivers, waivers, no lineup setting. Right now, users who deposit $10 get a classic or a pro subscription at 444 and a $25 bonus from underdog by going to 444.com slash underdog. That's the number four, F-O-R, the number four.com slash underdog. That $25 is equivalent to one buy-in in this year's Best Ball Mania. Two, that is a $3.5 million tournament with $1 million and $1 to the first place winner. Uh, they Don't still have... Yeah, don't forget the one. That's extra $1 makes a difference. Uh, I think it's a different tax bracket, $1 million, one and one. Uh, we've been playing this contest a ton, Matt and I. Uh, they still have fast drafts going. It doesn't look like this contest is going to fill, uh, so there's still going to be a little bit of overlay and fast drafts going right up until the last day of the season, so make sure you get your account uh, going again, 444.com slash underdog. Uh, today, like I said, it's going to be a really fun show. We have Matt, obviously, but we have a special guest, Jordan Vanek. Jordan uh, came on to 444 this year to do our comprehensive GPP article. Uh, I'll be doing DraftKings cash game. Matt's going to be rocking FanDuel cash game. But um, Jordan has kind of been uh, ascending in the DFS community, especially on Twitter. He's really been crushing tournaments. Uh, college football last year he posted some huge wins uh nfl dfs and 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 we got lucky enough to bring him on so uh jordan uh welcome to the program uh welcome to dfs mvp for those i know you matt knows you for those that don't know you tell them a little bit about yourself and your uh, dfs background so i'm uh from south florida i've been around you know good football players my whole life pretty much i've yeah. uh my high school receiving core was uh judy and jerry judy calvin ridley riley ridley greg russo was on jv for us like the the teams we the team i've been or, or was a part of the high school ridiculous athletes so yeah. seeing some of those guys be able to play them that's in dfs has, <laughs> has been has been pretty fun yeah and that's as for dfs i mean i started uh when i was 18 i've always yeah. been hooked on football and originally like i was a two-game slate guy like i mm -hmm. would 
break down as much statistics, just two games and watch film and see different things where notice a corner is bad and be like, okay, I want to play this receiver because this and this. And then I kind of moved over to showdowns just because that kind of came popular. And recently in the last two years, I've tackled on the main slate GPPs and just that's where I've gone. And this past year was my success year and kind of learning more and more as I go. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, we're, we're excited to have you. Like I said, Jordan's going to be rocking that uh, tournament article every single week. And then on Sunday mornings, Jordan and I are going to be doing a discord only uh, GPP show at uh, 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 p.m. Eastern time to get you guys our, our last minute thoughts on uh, what we're doing in GPPs going into the week. So that's going to be really fun for uh, the four for four subscribers. Um, like I said, I, if you've been listening to DFS MVP for years, you've heard a ton of, of what I think. Um, Matt and Jordan are, are new this year. If you've been listening this year, you've already had uh, a, a lot of, of Matt's really good knowledge thrown at you. And for the rest of the year, you're going to get my thoughts. So today, I, I'm going to take a step back a little bit. I'm, I'm going to play host and, and toss you guys some questions and uh, just kind of pick both of your brains um, on how you guys attack GPPs. We're going to go over a ton of stuff today. We're going to talk about our, our general approach to GPPs. Uh, we're going to talk about how we think about um, roster rates, how we think about building stacks, leverage, all of that. Um, anything you could think of, we're probably going to touch on today. Uh, so let's let's just jump right into it. I, I want to hear both of you guys' thoughts. Just kind of give me your your general thesis on um, on GPPs, um, Matt. Like I said, you and I have, have kind of talked about game selection ar already. Um, but what are you guys looking for when when you're either Jordan? You can talk about how how you game select. Like I said, we already talked about it. But when you're just starting out your playing pool, like what's your what's your beginning player pool um, process? So for me, uh, the first thing I do is make a spreadsheet. I'm just a huge spreadsheet guy getting the numbers onto a screen where I can color code it, green, good, red, bad, just yeah. so I can kind of see where the projections are. And after that, it's just go in each individual position and just kind of see throughout like the tier, the price tiers where, you know, your 7K are up quarterbacks. Like, okay, it's Mahomes, it's Kyler. And kind of seeing like, okay, I would rather pay 800 less from Kyler. So yep. I'll get rid of Mahomes out of my player pool and just kind of go through some of the things like that. Just very generic. And then after that, I look into the roster ship and kind of seeing like, okay, some of these guys are popping off on some mm -hmm. of the projection sites. I want to see if I can fade them because like, again, people are getting better and better at this each individual year. And it's like, I, sometimes eating the chalk is kind of the play because you either, I think, you either go for it or you don't for me. <laughs> That's just kind of how I go. And for as for like slates to target, I, I really, really like slates that I can max out, which is normally a single entry or a three entry max. Yeah. I do not try to play the big, you know, $20 first place of the million. Like I'd love to say that I can tackle that, but it's just not as, you know, profitable as people see of the big numbers and it's it's an awesome tournament like the five dollar million maker i'm gonna throw a you know a few lineups at it of course mm -hmm. but i'm not gonna go spend my bankroll on a tournament like that 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you're so you're basically like tearing up your salaries, uh, which I think is is a really good strategy. I talked about that in um in the DFS playbook that dropped this week. Um, going through projection and price ranges, um, looking at, at projected roster rates. We have really good projections on, on four for four that we have some people that have tracked those um just kind of independently, and ours have always been right near the top in terms of accuracy. So that's exciting because I'm the one in charge of those. And if they sucked, I would have to change my whole process. Um, and then obviously, like you said, just looking at, at those different um, slates that Matt and I have talked about um, the difference between three max and single and entry, what it, it single entry and whatnot. Um, Matt, when, when you're starting out going past the game selection, what's your approach to just starting your player pool? I mean, it's the most overwhelming thing for people that are new to GPPs. Absolutely. Uh, I really think that Vegas totals can encapsulate a ton of information for us. And to be honest, the, the same way we're in a grocery store and the things at eye level go right to us quicker, those top Vegas lines yeah. go right into our brains faster. And so everyone starts to see these smash plays first. And obviously, these roster ship projections that we have are going are, are gonna to have that included. But yeah. I think a lot of people forget about the second-tier Vegas totals. For instance, yeah. just going off examples here, they have a 52-point total as the top total of the week. But then there are two games down at 49 and another at 48.5 total. You'll be incredibly surprised, even in single-entry or three-entry plays, how many people stick to that top total game, especially if it includes one of these superstar blue-chip players like a Christian McCaffrey or a Patrick Mahomes. It just is very, very hard for people to to move away. They're scared to lose. And I like what Jordan talked about, where you can eat the chalk in specific uh, contests all the time. And I, I said here in the show notes, you can play the 100-0 games. With a lot of these players, you'll see a roster ship projection of, say, 40%, 50% for the top rostered player of the week. Well, you can be slightly contrarian in a three entry tournament by just entering all three lineups with that individual. Now, obviously your DOA, if that player does not hit, but it's the yeah. same line of thinking as players who are going to completely fade the top rostered players in high end tournaments. So yeah. obviously we've talked about game selection, but uh, that always comes into play there. Yeah. I, I like the thought on, um, three max or, or single entry. Um, it's, it's really easy to be super overweight or super underweight on players, obviously, because everybody's only putting one to three lineups in it. Um, and, and then the note you made on the, the second tier of uh, over-unders or even implied point totals, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but there's a, a huge edge in that, especially in the first like three to four weeks of the season where we and Vegas are still kind of trying to figure out who the best teams actually are. So especially in week one, I, I love smashing like the teams that are projected for like 26 points instead of 28. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of leverage there. And, and again, um, plug in that DFS playbook that just came out. A lot of people are misapplying uh, how they use betting odds. And, and there's some, some surprising uh, takeaways if we look at tournaments over the last couple of years. So um, I would encourage everybody to, to go to the DFS playbook and um, check that out. 
Jordan, I want to ask you a question that that's specific to you and the uh, the content that you're going to be doing uh, for four for four with your GPP article. One concept that you brought to my attention this offseason, getting ready for this podcast, just for the, the year in general, is um, your idea of, of Z scores and how it pertains to player projections. Can you talk a little bit about um, what those are and, and how you can use them to your advantage when you're building GPP lineups? So not to bring everybody back to, you know, high school statistics class, but pretty much the basic I or idea of Z-score is, say, for example, the average height in the United States is six feet. You have standard deviation of four inches. Shaquille O'Neal, seven footer, his Z-score would be three because he's three standard deviation away from the mean, the average. So what I like to do with Z-score for DFS terms is I want to compare it positionally. Because if you find a week where, like last year, the main week that I used this for was uh, Darren Waller against the Jets. I didn't project Darren Waller for 45, 50 points, which happened. I projected Darren Waller for around 22 or 23. And my next closest tight end was TJ Hawkinson with 11. Because Kelsey was on like a Monday or Thursday night game. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, if I'm getting 10 points on TJ Hawkinson, who's the next highest projected tight end... I'm just going to play Darren Waller. And on top of it, he had a nice soft price of 6,700 that week against the Jets, which was just, it was an easy target. And like for his Z score projection, I believe it was about 2.7 or 2.8. And in terms of, you know, comparing it across, I think Devonta Adams was like 2.1 that week. Um, Dalvin Cook was about two. So like he had the highest E score and it allowed me to go, okay, I'm going to put him in as my tight end. And now I'm going to kind of construct because you, you're going to pay up at some position, whether sure. it's running back, quarterback, whatever. And for me, it's just, it's a metric that gives me an idea of where can I get the most advantage. Yeah. So, so if, I, if I'm understanding it correctly, basically what you're saying is like, we, we always can look at projections and say someone used tight ends. This guy's the tight end one. This guy's the tight end two. That doesn't tell us much, right? If we're just, if their salaries are close or even if their salaries are far apart, um, the, the ranking doesn't matter, right? If we have a, a specific gap in projections at a position that's way bigger than the other positions, that's where we should be paying up or that's where we should be focusing in on that salary range. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I mean, me and you looked at it the other day in like week 10 or 11 last year, McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook both scored 40. The Mm. next highest scoring running back was 17. Right. That week was the week that me and you talked about where I wanted to, I fit, I was able to fit in Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey at my running backs and then went and played Drew Locke and Jerry Judy. And it ended up working out very well into my favor. And it's just, it basically you want the biggest point advantage because yes, no, when Derrick Henry goes for 36, that's awesome for your lineup. But if David Montgomery goes for 30 and DeAndre Swift goes for 32, exactly. it might not be optimal. Right, right. So yeah, yeah we're I'm, really talking about the the space between projections yep. and quantifying that correctly. So I love I love this concept. Talking about standard <laughs> deviations all day, man. Yeah, we, we, we have um, a few intro articles coming out that are just going to touch on, on our general strategies. And and in there, Jordan is going to dive a little bit deeper into Z-score. So um, if, if you don't have your, your pen and paper like you're in class right now, uh, Jordan's going to lay it out for you in that article. So so don't worry about uh, rewinding or trying to figure it out or Googling or anything. Um, 
last week we got into in our listener questions episode we did get into um some stacking concepts pretty pretty heavily uh but we kind of talked on on primary stacks obviously quarterback stacks um and we we touched a lot on um on on huge stacks but i want to start with matt and talk about something that I really started noticing last year, and those are these smaller stacks, these secondary stacks. So um, how often are you using these smaller stacks like running back defense, um, wide receiver, opposing wide receiver that aren't tied to your quarterback? And and how are you landing on these secondary or even third stacks in some cases? Um, the, the truth is I'm almost always doing it, especially with the fact that there are now plenty of optimizers out there that can help me do this automatically. Usually through my process of the week, I've identified a couple of teams that are in great situations that I want to cycle through their top options. And so they're, I just call them player blocks. I'm not exactly sure what to call them. They are stacks, but they often include another player or two that I'm really targeting in my player pool that week. Um, so it, it becomes this little game of just what fits. So there are some weeks where, um, I know we've talked about this game plenty, TJ, but it, the uh, Cardinals are playing the Bills, and this Diggs-Allen <laughs> yeah. stack, what what from the Cardinals can we run it back with, but also can we find something from that next best game, that next highest Vegas total, where we can add two players in? Another area I wanted to touch on, not always a good week, uh, this is a week-by-week -week strategy, but one thing I like to try is in tournaments, because defense is one of the most highly variant positions, a lot of people, understandably, are nervous to play the highest salary teams, even though their situation looks significantly better. And so I think there are situations where you can actually build what I call defense out, where you start with that top tier defense. Yes, you're going to have to make concessions at other flex positions. And then, especially if there's some sort of mid-price running back that would go with that team, we all know mm -hmm. about the running back defense correlation. Yeah. Suddenly you're like, okay, well, this is my 5,400 running back that I'm going to be playing based on this defense out approach. Uh, I, I already see a great uh, use for this possibly with San Francisco in week <laughs> one this week, uh, where we can get a mid-tier running back and a defense that could easily be the highest on the week. So Trace that's him. not what I'm always <clears throat> It's <laughs> not what I always do, but uh, I definitely look for situations where that top defense looks a cut above everyone else. Yeah, and and I like that exact example um, precisely because um, either way, whether it's the the popular running back or the popular defense, we know they correlate. But a lot of times, the the opposite, the running back when the defense is popular, the defense when the running back is popular um, won't be. Um, so that's a nice way to to offset either the high salary or the high ownership. Um, like you mentioned, there's lots of tools for that. One of the tools we have is the stack value report at 444.com. Pretty much any combination of player that you could think of, uh, you could click on it. And whether you're on FanDuel or DraftKings, it'll show you um, the best values or the highest ceiling uh, for those stacks. Uh, Jordan, same question. Are, are you like when you've, you've taken down some nice tournaments, and there's a ton of correlation in them usually. How are you going about these secondary or smaller stacks? I mean, as, as Matt said, I usually like to kind of figure out, you know, like I call it running back when I go a quarterback receiver and coming back with mm -hmm. another player in another team. It's pivotal for me because you kind of see where just when a game is just kicking off, it's just like Dalvin Cook, Devontae Adams, where, yeah, no, you don't expect – the, the Packers to dominate the Vikings and Dalvin Cook still to get 40 DraftKings points, but it's 
just what happens because players make big plays, especially those of that caliber. And it usually happens when it's just a high pace of game and defenses are just crumbling. Yeah. And, and I think people um, in the example, you said the wide receiver opposing wide receiver, I think people get nervous because they, they think, well, if I'm playing these two guys, I should have the quarterback. So I don't want to use them here. Um, quarterback and wide receiver scoring don't work the same. So you can have two wide receivers that absolutely go off and the quarterback doesn't have that, that good of a game. If, if, uh, you know, like you said, a, a Devonte Adams is getting a hundred out of Aaron Rodgers, 250 yards and one touchdown, like that's not a good game for Aaron Rodgers, but it's a, it's a beast of a game for Devonte. So if you go through winning lineups, like we did in the DFS playbook, you will see, uh, in the quarterback article, I laid out every single stack that's been in tournaments for winning tournament lineups in, in the majors for the last two seasons. So many of them have wide receiver, opposing wide receiver, running back, opposing running back, running back defense, like we talked about. Um, so I would encourage people to go check out that article and, and review that because we really just want to minimize the number of things we need to get right, correct? And if we get if we zero in on four or five games and those hit like we want to, we don't have to try to get every one-off player right. It minimizes those uh, decision points that we need to figure out. So uh, it's, it's really important. Um Jordan, I'm going to throw this back to you, moving on to things like rostered rate. Uh, so many people focus on player-by-player player, uh, roster percentages. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm eating the chalk here, so I, I want to be contrarian on this guy. But one thing that I, I think is really important that we started talking about last year and a, a lot of uh, really good tournament players talking about is the overall rostered rate on um your team so like whether you're looking at the average or the cumulative you just kind of want to be in, in this tight and narrow range um if you're way too contrarian obviously you're you're, you're not going to have those studs that everybody's on if you're way too chalky you can't be unique so uh, jordan how are you managing your teams in terms of being contrarian or chalky um and and how do you want that to look uh overall when you're done and and what factors determine if if you're going to be on the chalky side on the contrarian side and is there any variance um between FanDuel or DraftKings? so for me like the biggest thing is, is like, what do spots do I believe I can win? And where it comes about last year that it's coming on top of my head is it was a week where Derrick Henry was about 300 less than Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry showing 40% ownership or roster chip and Dalvin Cook was about nine or 10%. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I understand that Dalvin was 300 more. And I know that I believe Dalvin was playing the Detroit Lions and Derrick Henry was going up against maybe the Jaguars or someone that is obviously a Derrick Henry smash spot. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, if I'm getting, I'm going to have to get up $300 more to avoid 30% ownership for a player that's just as skilled. And yeah. the reality is, is like we touchdowns are a variance that, and if Dalvin Cook scores this week and Derrick Henry doesn't, I'm winning. I'm most likely winning the matchup because Dalvin catches the passes and makes up for other areas. And when it comes to like, rostering my like making my lineup i want one to two guys that are sub 10 percent ownership it's the the biggest thing with me is that you don't need you know four guys that are one percent owned and if you do and you hit congrats like <laughs> you were just the guy that week you smashed it it's awesome for you and when I want to go identify the guys that, you know, are getting low roster ship and are have the opportunity to ball out, you got to look at their matchups. You look at, you know, the defenses in total. And like, for me, I go in depth with defensive coordinators where 
I want to see historically who do they give up points on. Where last year when Dan Quinn moved on, I looked at Raheem Morris, and Raheem Morris is notably no, known for um, blitzing the house and allowing his corners to be on islands. So the first week against the Minnesota Vikings, I played Justin Jefferson in all my lineups because he was still in the 6,600 range, I believe. And he ended up going for 40 points, which worked out for me. But at the same time, I ate the uh, chalk of Kareem Hunt and Josh Jacobs in that, you know, tornado crazy weather game. Oh, when yes. my buddy was telling me, hey, go play DeAndre Swift. He's 400 cheaper. And coach is telling me he's going to get all the touches. And I was wrong there. I ate the chalk wrongly. But at the same time, I got Justin Jefferson at a pretty low ownership or roster ship. And he performed for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing one thing that you touched on is like uh, having having one or two guys that are sub ten percent, and like I think one thing that's really important is balancing that, right? If if you would have went with the the Derrick Henry and take that forty percent, well then now I'm going to be more inclined to have maybe lean towards three or four guys that are sub ten percent, um, and vice versa. If if you go with the whatever eighteen percent or seventeen percent Dalvin, you don't need to do that. Um, Matt, I, I know that you have thought about this in terms of not just what we talked about, but um, opportunity costs and, and positional advantages as well. So how are you thinking about the, the overall roster percentage of your team? And, and what are some factors that go into your process there? Yeah, I think Jordan touched on a ton of great points there. And I don't really have much to add because the process is very similar. But I'm always thinking about how many people am I playing against? Mm -hmm. And I know that goes into contest selection. But the bottom line is, if I have to beat more people, then I know I have to do something uh, more quantifiably more different. And I don't want to be too different, as Jordan was saying, but I also need to understand the contest enough so that I can understand my differentiation process. From there, it is a little bit of a thought experiment. I, I kind of go through my, my final uh, teardown of my player pool, and when I'm creating the lineups, I ask, what is the opportunity cost of getting this right? And then how many things have to go right assuming this has already happened? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times when you finish those two thought experiments, you say, okay, well, I'm going to have to be alongside the other 50% of lineups that rostered Alvin Kamara. But mm -hmm. I can quantify why he's the best play on the slate. And then I can also lean into him, say, in a three-roster a three three uh uh, excuse me, tournament, yeah. I can put him in all three lineups yep. and go from there. Especially at the more variant positions too. Like you can get uh, dollars per expected touchdown or dollars per expected fantasy point is a really good metric to look at. And you can almost always find players with expected low roster ship that you can always mix in as well. Yeah, one thing that that we, um, we have pointed out before is that... Uh, a lot of times if, if we are going to eat the chalk, it's, it's uh, easier to do it uh, like, like a running back, like you said, Alvin Kamara, where it's easier to project. Um, we were really good at projecting running backs compared to other positions. And then high variance positions. I, I found this uh, again, going through these tournaments uh, this week on Fandle specifically when winner winning lineups had tight ends that were in over 10% of the lineups, they were, typically in the higher salary tier range when winners on Fanduel had a contrarian tight end they were typically 
cheaper tight ends. And I think that might run contrary to like our intuition because you, you think, well, I'm not going to pay all the way up in salary and eat the chalk, but at a position like tight end where there's only one and it's super high variance because the guys at the position are only touching the ball five or six times with, you know, 10 targets, maybe seven or eight. Um, why eat the chalk at a position? If the guy's cheap, he's probably unproven, maybe going to get five or six targets. We probably haven't seen it yet. Why eat the chalk on super high variance? Give me the guys that are best at the position that are, um, that are in the optimal situation. I mean, and that, that is specific to FanDuel just because you are able to like pay up for a lot of positions, but I just thought it was a really uh, interesting um, find because it just runs counter to, to what we might think. But um, speaking of uh, FanDuel specific, if, if you haven't played on FanDuel yet, then your season's about to get 20% better because if you start playing fantasy football on FanDuel this year, they're going to give you a 20% deposit bonus on your first deposit up to $500. Um, that's a big time bonus. And all you need to do to claim it is make your first deposit. So we've been playing a ton on FanDuel because like we talked about, we like playing these single entry and three max contests. And if you compare FanDuel to some of the other sites, especially these mid stakes games, like between the $50 and $100 level, the, the structure of their single entry and three max games, sometimes five max too, um, they're phenomenal. They, they have really flat, nice payout structures compared to some of the other sites. Uh, and they're really my preferred um, mid stakes uh, single entry and three max contest to go to. And even if you aren't into that, you can play a bunch of other contests. Um, they have, uh, they, they have cash games, they have, uh, leagues, they have hundred man leagues, um, tons of double up, uh, 100 man formats. We talked about this last week. They have friends leagues where you can just play, uh, against 11 of your buddies and, and start getting warmed up for Fandle. And we actually went into some very specific strategies on how to attack those. And then, um, they have stuff going on right now. They have preseason slate. We have a lot of preseason coverage on the main slates from Pat James and Tim Talmadge. And, there's our so week one slates up. Um, I mentioned the Sunday million, which we covered in the DFS playbook, a bunch of strategies on that in every position. You could start um, entering that contest right now. Uh, and if you are ready to go, you could sign up today at fandle.com slash DFS MVP to claim your bonus. That's fandle.com slash DFS MVP. Agent location restrictions apply. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires after 30 days. Let's get back to some of these GPP strategies. Matt, I want to um, start with you. And we started talking about how we start formulating our player pool. But I think the most popular question I get on Twitter or from friends, um, how big is your player pool? How many players are you taking? Does this change by week, by slate, by GPP type? Talk a little bit about um, building the size of your player pool. Well, I'm going to take the easy way out a little <laughs> bit and okay. say that it is definitely week, week specific and contest specific. There are obviously yeah. situations where I'm going to include more low probability plays simply because the contest asks, asks for it. And the other side of this is that when you narrow down a slate, you often find that at most, there are four to, maybe if you're really lucky, six or eight, what I call blue chip, can't miss, no doubt, players in each slate. That regardless of their roster ship percentage or other factors, there are just very few situations that you can formulate where this player doesn't meet expectation. 
There just are very few of them. And so to avoid them would be a huge mistake. But identifying them is really the main game. From there, it's really about contest selection, playing the correlation game, and understanding what player blocks can move together. And to be honest, similar to what I said about cash games, in a perfect world, if I've had a perfect week, and of course, this is very, very difficult to do, I could create one tournament lineup that I feel so confident in that I could play it in every type of contest from the millionaire maker to the single entry at my highest stakes and feel like I have given myself the top probability possible of winning. But the bottom line is, that's incredibly difficult. By the time we get to a certain point in the week, we can't narrow down the projections any further, so we start to cycle those in and out of our yeah. lineups. One thing I do want to add, though, is one way you can differentiate yourself, especially in these three max tournaments or even in the 20 max tournaments, if you start to think about these lineups, these three separate lineups, as one unique entity, so that you have similarities between the two and just a few cycle differences, I do feel like you can gain an edge compared to the field who essentially are using those extra lineups to hedge against their perceived possible mm -hmm. wrong decisions. Yeah, um, I, I think that last part, like they're basically trying to save their floor instead of shoot for their ceiling is how, how people um, really screw themselves in GPPs a lot. And I think trying to cover all your bases is where a lot of new players get caught and then you just you don't um it's impossible to and you're just never going to land or it's you're going to give yourself way less of a chance to land on the right combination right we talked about earlier um like minimizing those decision points if, if you have a bigger player pool you just have to get way more things right um jordan i want to throw it to you what is your what does your player pool look like on a weekly level so for me it, it obviously depends on the slate as matt said and you know what the size of it and different things but let's just say for the you know week one right now every game's there for i go four to five quarterbacks six to eight running backs six to ten receivers one to four tight ends that's just the pool what i actually play like some weeks i can just zone in i'm like all right well i'm playing this quarterback this is where i'm going this is the route i'm going towards and for running backs, I usually kind of try to keep it two, three, but at most I play six. Like mm -hmm. I get my player pool down to a certain selection. And when it comes to like lineup building, I tend to kind of gravitate towards the same core because for me, I, when I build it, like the core is at most four players. <laughs> and secondly, if I get that core, right, if those four guys hit to where I, you know, hit value or wherever I kind of project, then I can, you know, adjust if I need that 425 late swap or just I have the combinations that I wanted to have going forward. Where if you're, you know, McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson caught the touchdown in the 1 p.m. slate, you're sitting there pretty with your Mahomes, Kelsey, Demarcus Robinson stack. And then you look into 425 and you're like, oh, this is perfect. I have all these different combinations. I can root for it. Yeah, I, I will say that... Um... If you are somebody that's playing um, cash and GPP, which I, I know Matt and I definitely are doing, I don't know Jordan so much as dabbling in the cash, but you, you will you will find like if you're new, um, don't get nervous if your cash lineups make a huge percentage of your tournament player pool. Like those guys are are the best values and the best plays because they are, um, and you don't want to be fading them. So we're we're still using them a fair amount um, in our GPPs, and they're still the core of our, our GPP um, lineup. I'm going to throw a rapid-fire question at you guys. You don't have to give any explanation. If you're in a three-max tournament and 
that's the only thing you're playing uh, that whole week. Uh, I'll start with Matt. Are you playing three different quarterback stacks or one quarterback stack across all three lineups? Three. Uh, so different receivers in that stack or the same quarterback? Three different quarterbacks same or one quarterback? Three different quarterbacks. Jordan? I'll do one. I like, I mean, I, I had, I had a few, few of those last year. I mean, early on I'll say three because it's, it's so hard to like just one guy, but as the season gets on, I usually can gravitate towards one. No, I, I think both are, are viable for different reasons. I see a lot of winning players use both of them. So it's just, I go back and forth so much in three max on those. So I had to throw it out there. Um, after we have started, we, we, again, we kind of touched on this last week, but I think this is super important, especially with tournaments. After we started, after we built, after the kickoff, we're not done. Uh, late swaps probably one of the most important things in DFS and probably the most underutilized and biggest edges you can have in DFS. Um, I, I would say the biggest right now. Um, easy question, Jordan. How are you implementing late swap and what are the things you're looking for? So for me, like after the 1 p.m. games, you obviously will know where you're sitting. And the reality is, is if you kind of, if you have different lineups and different stacks going in one stack, was awful it was just hey bad play made a mistake my bad and the other stack is smashing and you have the similar players in it for me i like to take the stack that's dead in the water and kind of go to the guys that maybe were chalky that i faded or just guys that rearrange the lineup so i can kind of not cover my bases but if i was wrong on two different slates then i cover maybe min cash that lineup that's already dead in the water yeah. with my main um, lineups that are doing well, I necessarily kind of leave them alone because I I hate to be that guy to be like, oh, I'm going to go to Deontay Johnson instead of Juju because now the roster shift is a little different. <laughs> For me, yeah. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to let it go. I don't want to. I'll just pretend like I never had a chance to change it. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what what, do we, what does your late swap on Sunday look like? Assuming we're talking about main slate. Yeah, let's hope that you're in a situation where you're already moving up the leaderboards and you see a couple of lineups that you know that you're going to have to compete with. Because then mm -hmm. the game gets really fun. Yep. You can look at those lineups and often you can see based on just the player slots remaining and the remaining salary who they're likely going to play. And you can plan very, very specifically for those opponents. And I've, you know, I've done that before. But that's not always where we're at when we're talking mm -hmm. about late late swap. The more likely scenario is some of our predictions from the early games just simply haven't gone our way. And in that situation, we're chasing negative correlations. And specifically, negative correlations of the chalk plays. Because if that chalk hits, we can assume a large percentage of the field already has that player rostered and isn't planning to change anything because their lineups are doing well, or at least better than yours. So... We need to get specifically contrarian about this. Uh, there was actually one uh, slate where this really came up. I think it was the Thanksgiving slate. I know that slate was weird because there was a game canceled. But I remember Ezekiel Elliott's roster ship percentage was going through the roof because he was just the only surefire running back with the touches available on the slate. And so every tournament player started going, I have to play Antonio Gibson. I don't even like Antonio Gibson, but I have to play Antonio Gibson because... I passed so much of the field understanding by, I think they were the late game as well, if I remember this correctly. So you could see which teams in this two game slate were playing Elliot most likely. You've got to differentiate yourself that way. And if you're not, as we've said before, you're leaving money on the table. 
Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of or as FanDuel and DraftKings definitely have have moved to um, the main slate. Uh, doesn't include Sunday Night Football. It's been like that for a while. Yahoo did last year. I haven't checked to see if they they are still including it this year. But when there's only that Sunday Night Football game, that Sunday Night Hammer, it it makes it a lot. Um, easier obviously to kind of figure out the things you were talking about which players are ahead of you because there's only one game um but even even on these 1 p.m games when when there is only two to three games on that 4 p.m slate you can still kind of reverse engineer and have a pretty good idea especially if it's like a really high salary really high uh running back or wide receiver we, we have a pretty good idea of who those guys are um and then yeah like like jordan said if you're just completely dead in the water like don't just stop playing your lineup like just throw like it's it it might be completely unscientific but if if the lions are 10 point underdogs and we know deandre swift is like going to be one percent of even cash games like just throw deandre swift in there if he goes off that's the only way you're going to catch the field if you're already going to lose anyway like figure out a way to give yourself a chance um so like those things are always super important um before we sign out we got uh one really good question in the chat and we'll go round table i'll start with you matt do you have a site preference or do you play on all the sites uh fandle draft kings we could throw yahoo in there too I play on all the sites, and yeah. I'm really going to dig into Yahoo this year. Uh, spoiler alert, I have a Yahoo article coming out weekly starting week one. Yeah. Uh, but I am a sucker for more fantasy points, more fantasy points any way we can get them. I think scoring points is fun. So I have a little bit of bias uh, towards DraftKings just because the full point PPR and the bonuses gives us more total points. It's silly, yeah. but I get the dopamine hit when I get more numbers. Nah, for sure, Jordan. Yeah, no, I'm mainly a DraftKings guy. FanDuel, I've had success. It's just the the half point and just the reliance of touchdowns is is not as fun for me. Yeah, I play I play all sides. I, I think DraftKings scoring is more predictable, which makes uh, I, I like the the cash games aspects of it more. Obviously, they have a, a ton of tournament selections. Uh, as I mentioned, FanDuel has amazing tournament structures yahoo um I, i've had a lot of success in their tournaments if you look at your competition on yahoo a lot of times you'll see players that don't have um uh real screen names they have like numbers letters i i am pretty sure that's because those are redraft people that have got over to the dfs side and didn't have to create a, a screen name um that's a really, really good thing. If you have redraft people in your league, just kind of trying to figure out, just throwing random lineups in, um, you should probably be playing those games. Um, guys, that was awesome. Uh, Matt and Jordan, thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, we will be talking Sunday mornings. Matt, we're going to be talking every week at this same exact time, 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Fridays from now uh, through championship week. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, this obviously check it out here. We also have the audio um, on all podcast platforms. Please rate and review on iTunes, like, and subscribe on YouTube. Again, if you're looking for a way to get our DFS sub at a discounted price, head over to 444.com slash prize picks to get one for as little as $20. Those only for new prize picks users. Uh, be sure to check out our preseason analysis and head over to our Discord to check out the preseason chat going on there and my redraft chats next week on Thursday and Sunday. And if you want to get caught up on evergreen content that we touched on here, the DFS playbook that's updated this year, go to 444, head over to the DFS strategy hub. Uh, if you want more content from myself 444 matt and jordan you could check us out on twitter 444 at 444 football matt at draftaholic jordan at jordan vanek dfs i'm at tj hernandez 
We'll talk to you guys next week.